Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance His kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. So last week we talked about the peace of God, how the peace of God is a... uh, It's a guard, it's a protection. It says that it has the ability to guard our hearts and minds. And then we talked about that the Holy Spirit is is the is the is the God person that really guides us in this life. It says, it says, I will be your guide. It'll it'll teach us all things that we need to know. It'll bring to our remembrance those things that we've studied. You know, so there's times that when we uh, look at the word of God and we read it once. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've read, you've deposited a little bit of the word of God, and then sadly, we've put it on the shelf. We haven't really read it that, that much, but we're in a moment of distress, and we begin to pray, and all of a sudden, Holy Spirit brings something to remembrance that we deposited deep down by the power of his Holy Spirit. Because the little bit of deposit that we put inside of, God, inside of us, God multiplies that deposit for our benefit. Now, what he wants is us continually feeding ourselves, continually growing ourselves. But he's given us tools to defend ourselves and to protect protect ourselves. So last week, we focused on the peace of God, which guards our heart and mind. So this week, we're going to look at, take it a little bit further, and we're going to look at the armor of God. You know, we were right there at the tail end of the message because we talk about the peace of God. But uh, And I know a lot of us have heard, whoa, the armor of God. And maybe we were taught in, in, in VKC or children's church and things like that. But how does it apply today? Does it, does it, is it more necessary to have it in our lives at this season of our life versus when we're smaller? Because I believe that it's something that we need to learn to equip ourselves with and to wear throughout our lifetime. There's never a season of our life where we don't need the armor of God in our lives. So we have to understand that, uh, you know, we have to learn that there is a war raging for our souls and there's a battle in spiritual places. And, and, and what, is the, what does that part look like? Because what the enemy wants us to believe is that everything, every facet of our life is just in the natural. Well, just, you know, man, just wake up tomorrow morning with a better attitude and you're going to be okay. Well, just, you know, just get over it, you know, just be flexible, you know, that there's no spiritual implications to anything we go through. The enemy wants us to think like, you know, hey, just start exercising or start eating right, these practical things and you're going to be okay. But there's a whole nother facet to the Christian belief system. It's not just a self-help manual. All of those things, yes, they'll benefit your life. Yeah, they'll make you feel better. But if we don't understand that the, 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 the part of our life that God is shaking us as far as the spiritual battle and the spiritual things of how we need to fight by the Spirit, because practically when we talk about putting on the armor of God, we don't dress like warriors and put on you know all of the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet. You didn't see me walk in with all this armor this morning. And it's nothing that you will see by natural eyes. Because if this was just something natural that we were talking about, and we'd be toting our swords and we'd be toting our shields and we'd be walking around Bay City, he's like, that church has lost it. <laughs> what, what, what the Bible is talking about here is the spiritual implications of what these things represent and their intended use and purpose for our spiritual well-being. Okay? So we have to understand that. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 9 It says, humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Verse 7, it says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Verse 9, it says, resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that our brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. Okay, so we have to understand that all humanity is in the same battle facing the exact same accuser. So in Africa, are they dealing with the same things we are? Absolutely. Mexico, all around the world, on the other side of the planet, that everyone is going through the same process as far as a battle for your souls, that the enemy is looking, he's walking around like a roaring lion. And you guys have heard me say this before. He is acting like a lion. There's a difference between if I get on all fours and I, you know, like acting and you're going to be like, oh, I'm real scared, Nelly, right? Acting like. But if I was face to face with a literal lion, 
See ya, I'm out of here. Right, the, the, the difference between acting like and actually being. But we have gotten to the place, if we don't guard our mind, if we don't put on the, the armor of God, our perception will believe it to be factually true that he's not just acting like, but he is indeed a lion that can destroy me and can, can attack me and can dismember me to the full extent as if he was. So that's one part we really, really need to focus on. He, he, he prowls around like a roaring lion. But the reality of, of seeking out somebody to devour, that is very intentional. He's looking and he's finding someone who doesn't have his battle armor on, who is not ready, who doesn't have his mind guarded, who has, does not have the sword of the spirit to defend himself. And he seeks to devour and destroy. What's, the, what's always the characteristics of the enemy? He desires to what? Kill, steal, and destroy every facet of our life, every season of our life. And, they, and he starts when we're little bitty. If he can wreck us when we're children, man, he can cause us to have issues all through our adulthood. That's what happens. We deal with things for the rest of our life. You know, consequences, you know, of just broken marriages, all of these things that wreck a child's life sometimes or wreck us to the place of where, man, a part of me is broken. And ultimately, God's ultimate will is that we're married forever. God never, never intended divorce to be an out. But really, look at the reality of the culture we live in. It becomes more and more and more common, and it leaves devastation in its wake. You know, children, you know, uh, man, I hear so many times in the school all of the negativity. Well, this kid's this, this kid's this, this kid's that, and it's just the negative side, but are our teachers really calling those children what they really are? Looking beyond the surface of the issues and seeing their God-given potential. That's the, that's the role of the church. That's the role of, of parents, of those to really see God-given potential that, man, you're loved. Look at these gifts. Look at these talents. Look at these abilities within you. Man, I am so excited to see what God does with your life. But that's not what we hear. Children grow up saying, be quiet. Man, why don't you listen? Why don't you do better? Can't you really make a better grade? All of these negative things. Why? Because the accuser is always out to kill, steal, and destroy. And if he can do that at an early age, he can wreck the rest of our lives. But we have to understand that there is a redeemer, that God can fix a lot of things. But it's better to be smart than it is to be ignorant and allow God to put you all back together. He's given us tools and he's given us a plan and he's given us the ability to stand strong and to be defended. Okay, so James 4, 7, it says, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So if we just stop right there, that right there will preach on its own. That is just an awesome concept. It says, submit yourselves to God. So you say, man, maybe this morning, no, that's something I can do. I can submit myself to God, resist the devil. You know, and that sometimes that's the challenge, right? Temptation or whatever we're dealing with, you know, that root of sin that's in us. You know, sometimes there's that war, but it says to resist to some degree, and then what happens? And he will flee from you. If we keep going, verse 8, it says, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and well. Change your laughter into mourning and your joy to gloom. Verse 10, Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. So really the context of this passage, it's talking about moving from selfish pride or being proud or arrogant to, to this place of true humility, of understanding that it's God that defends us, it's God that protects us, that we cling to God, we strive to the best of our ability to resist the devil, and then he commands him to flee. You know, when we submit things to God and we do things in the right order, the devil has no power on us. But it's that moment that we just say, you know, we kind of, if we, get the, we get that passage backwards where we're kind of like, well, I guess I'm submitted to the devil because there's ugliness in me. So I submit just that I, I have no control of it. Have you ever made that? Said, well, I, I have no, I can't, I can't control that. That's just who I am. So as soon as we make that agreement with what is an unbiblical or untrue statement, we're submitting ourselves to the devil because we're really uh, uh, confirming something that we really are not. I am a liar, or I am a drunkard, or I am a horrible husband. Because the moment you say that and you make that agreement out of your mouth, you know what the devil does? Oh, yeah, you are. 
You're a horrible husband, and you can't ever lick that alcohol addiction. You can't ever lick those things. We're, we're, we're reaffirming what the enemy is already speaking. So we got to really understand what that passage says. It says, submit yourselves to God. So what does that mean? That says, I submit my life, everything that I am, the good, the bad, and the ugly, to God. And with a little bit of ounce of self-control or strength, I resist the devil. And then God comes in, and he causes the devil to flee. But it talks about where, man, purify your hearts. Make sure, you know, you double-minded. Cause yourself to be aligned with the word of God. It says, grieve, mourn, and well. These are not things of celebration. These things are things of humility, of falling before God's throne of grace and saying, Lord, I need you. It's placing our life in God's hands rather than trying to take care of it ourselves. So God desires hearts that are completely his, and we boast in him alone. We have to understand that that is something that God really wants. He, you know, if there's anything good in us, that God receives glory from that. Rather than just saying, oh, I'm pretty good at that, you know, me, myself, and I, where I build myself up, that if there's any good thing in me, it's because of the grace of God. Because deep down at the core of who I am, of how I was created, I'm selfish, I'm lustful, I'm arrogant, I'm prideful, all of these ugly things. But it's by the grace of God that he took these things of filthy rags and instead he changed them for righteousness that I might walk boldly before God. But our confidence comes in him. So we look all through the Bible, and you guys might have done this before, where you say, man, I want to be like David, or I want to be like Paul, or I want to be like the disciples. We have to shift from, from setting people as the paramount goal, and we need to say more, man, I desire, my passion and my desire is to be like Christ. Because each of those men, each of those people in the Bible, they had some pretty flawed things in their life. You know, now I think sometimes we say, well, that's kind of like me. You know, we can kind of relate. But the ultimate goal is to be like Christ, to be Christ-centered and to be Christ-focused. So we have to allow God to fight our battles for us. This is something that, uh, that God's really been showing me. There, there, there's a degree that God desires for me and what he wants me to do, but there's a place where I stop and I allow God to be my defender, my strong right arm, that he is the one that goes before us in everything that we do. And that's really where we will succeed. If I go before God in trying to take care of something, he's going to just sit back there and let me fall flat on my face and say, how'd that go, buddy? Because God desires to go before us. He, 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 he desires to be ahead of us, preparing the way, battling on our behalf in everything we do. But we have, to, we have to put that idea of, God, I don't go unless you go. I don't move unless you move. Okay? So we have to understand that God is allowing us, he's given us the armor of God. So putting on the whole armor of God, this is something that we need to do daily. So this battle that we fight, it's not a battle against flesh and blood, but it is a spiritual battle, okay? To fight a spiritual battle, we must fight with spiritual weapons. You can't fight, you can't fight supernatural, supernaturally with physical, tangible weapons. It's just not going to work. Okay, so the Holy Spirit will unlock all the weapons needed for every single situation we go through. But it's a matter of us kind of tapping into that and allowing him to give us the tool we need. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, skilled carpenters or, or mechanics or whatever, whatever it is. There's specific tools for specific things. Okay, you're never going to, if you're having to change a, a screw out with a Phillips head or a, a regular head and you try to use a a bolt and socket, like a socket to get it off, it'll never work. You got to use the right tool for the job. Or if you're trying to screw in a screw and you use a hammer, man, don't be the husband that shows up and your wife just did that. It's not going to work, right? You have to use the right tool for the right job. And I'm teaching this, my son, at the, you know, from a young age, that there's right tools for the right job. Now, there's sometimes once you broke something and you mess something up, you might got to get a little jazzy to fix it because probably you used the wrong tool for the wrong job, and now you're trying to fix it. But there's tons of tools out there for that also, for all of us men that tried to use the wrong tool and tried to work it out, right? 
Okay, so we have to allow the Holy Spirit to unlock all the weapons that we need. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. So some of this framework, I'm, I'm going to talk about the armor of God, but I also think there, there needs to be an understanding of why is the armor of God important? Because we have to understand that there is an accuser of the brethren, that there is temptation, that there is warfare going on, and that's why we wear this battle armor, okay? It's not just to wear it around and be like, hey, you know, I wore this armor today. Were you going to war? No, it's just fun to wear. No, we wear it for a purpose, for a reason. We are very intentional in the reason why we put it on. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And it doesn't just stop there and say, hey, good luck with that. But this is what it goes on to say. It says, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he, God, will also provide a way out so that you can stand under it. Because temptation is going to happen. Hard things are going to, gonna, we're going to be faced with those things. We're going to be faced with things that, you know, that have a potential to really wreck our lives. But there's nothing that happens. There's nothing that you go through. There's no temptation that God does not provide a way out. You know, I know that uh, we get that scripture mixed up with saying that God will never give me more than I can handle. Oh, no, he gives you more than you can handle every single day of your life. But it says that he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what, there, what he allows an escape for. So what does that mean? That means whatever we're struggling with, whatever addiction, whatever things that we're going through, because I know a lot of times when we struggle with things or we're going through things, at some point we either just give into it because we don't want to fight or we give into it because we think that's who, are, who we are and there's no way of escape. Well, everybody's doing or I guess that's just the way God made me and then we just yield to it and we go and we just... And then at the end, anytime we make those, those wrong choices in whatever we're tempted with, how many of you guys feel awesome after you make the wrong choice? Said nobody, right? It always leads to more destruction. It, it leads to darker days. It's never of the fix. But God's word says that I will never tempt you beyond something that I do not provide a way out. Amen. So when I go back and I think in my life of when I just kind of just went down that trail and I just yielded to sin or I just felt like there was no way out and I took full bait. Man, that's relying on what? Noe's strength, not God's strength. Because this is where the power of God released in our life is going to have to take over. When the flesh inside of me is raging and saying, oh, this is what feels good. This is what we want. This is what you should pursue. And all of a sudden your spirit man inside says, no, no, no. I've provided a way out for that. And that's when we just pause and we say, Holy Spirit, God, help me. And then immediately he provides a way out. Every single time. It's not sometimes he provides a way and sometimes he doesn't. What does it say? It says he will always provide a way out. That means every single time, every single day, that His grace is going to be sufficient yesterday, today, and forever. Every single moment of our life, okay? 2 Peter 2.9, part of that passage says, The Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials. Okay? John 16.33, we shared this last week. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Okay, so just the framework for this. We have to understand who God is in this big picture. That there's nothing that he can't handle, that there's nothing that we're going through that he can't overcome. He always provides a, a way out for us. Okay? So let's look at Ephesians 6. And this is where it talks about uh, the, the armor of God. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. We're going to look at that whole passage and then I'm going to break it down just a little bit for you. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. I'm going to read this in the NIV. Verse 10, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Verse 12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
So that, that, that gives the frame, framework saying, make sure that we understand, you know, that the Lord is strong, that he's mighty in power, you know, put on this full armor of God, understand what our struggle is, that it's not against flesh and blood, but this is a, this is a spiritual battle. And then verse 13, and then it starts giving us some of the guidance. Here's the framework and here's what you do because of the war that we're in. Verse 13, it says, therefore, put on just a little bit of the armor of God, put on just the helmet. Don't wear nothing else but your shoes. No, it says what? Put on the full armor of God. And this is what it does, and this is what it accomplishes. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, verse 14, it says, stand firm then. And it begins to break them down. It says, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the, the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all, man, some consistency here, right? There's nothing that God can handle. Extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. And then verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then here's the key to unlocking all of these in verse 18. It says, uh, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the saints. Okay, so let, let's, work, let's work through this backwards just a little bit. It says pray on all occasions. Pray all the time. But it doesn't just say pray in your natural ability, right? What does it say? It says pray in the spirit. On all occasions, why does it matter if I pray in the spirit or I pray in the natural? We started this passage talking about what? This is not a physical battle. This is not something that we can handle within our own strength. This is a spiritual battle. So the only way to be successful in this war is to release by the Holy Spirit all of the gifts and all of the tools and all of the weapons needed to be victorious. And only the Spirit, Holy Spirit can release those things. So when we look at this, let's start going through each one. So the belt of truth. So what does this really represent? This really represents discernment. You know, it is a truth filter. So we think of when we put our belt on. In John 18, 37, it says, In fact, for this reason I was born. It's talking about Jesus. For I came into the world to testify to the truth. Okay, so there, there, is, there, is a, there is something that when we have the belt of truth on where we know what truth is, and the only way we're going to truly know what truth is is by reading the Word of God. The truth is defined in the Word of God through the Word of God, and Jesus came to testify to everything written in here as far as it being accurate, as far as it being uh, precise, as far as it being effective in all that we do. So we have to be wrapped and secured by the truth, by truth with the belt of truth secured. Okay, so we have to have it intact. So the, the belt is really intended to hold everything together and in place. Trying to think who, who's, who's in here who this might apply to. His pants are intact is the best way I know to put that. Okay? So how many of you guys have seen this new trend of where, you know, you, get, you have to walk like this to kind of keep your pants from going below your knees. And then the left hand acts as a belt. You're right. I'm, I'm serious. Holding the pants up and walking like this so that they don't fall below a certain threshold of where it gets out of control. A belt, in case you don't know, is intended to hold all those things in place. So if you want to buy it five times too big, get a belt. Okay, if you want growing room, because I understand that sometimes. These flex pants, that's a whole new trend too, right? Stretching any way you need to grow. Making it is, man, I feel good. I feel like I'm losing weight. No, you just bought stretchy pants. <laughs> that make your confidence grow a little bit, right? But, but that belt is intended to hold everything together. You know, I was kind of researching and seeing what is the, what, how did this belt, how did this armor that it was talking about really function? You know, this breastplate of righteousness actually went into the belt and the belt kind of cinched over it. It held everything in place. And if you're in war, you can't be tripping over pants. You can't have loose articles. It needs to be tight and secure and you gotta be ready. You know, I was looking at some stuff also. It talks about... You guys have heard this, this, the, say, the saying, gird up your loins 
So I was looking at it, it was kind of a cool concept because like in the old days, they wore these long robe clothes and, and they would hang down all the way right, right below your ankles or they would hang almost all the way to the ground. And what they would talk about girding up your loins, they would actually grab it and they would cinch up the thing, they would wrap it around and they would tie it off and pretty much in essence make shorts out of it so that they could run, so that they could move. So, cause you know, I mean, I know some dresses you can run in, but it'd be the equivalent of trying to full out sprint in a dress. It's just not gonna be feasible. So that same concept that we have to gear ourselves in a way, we have to get ready. We put that belt of truth on that holds everything in place. Okay, it's really that discernment factor of defining what truth is, okay? So the belt of truth, we gotta have it, we gotta know what truth is, okay? Next, next piece, breastplate of righteousness. So this really, in essence, protects the heart, okay? So if we talk about Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. So if in, the, in the New Living Translation, it defines it as, for it determines the course of your life. So if we think about what the breastplate covers, it's more so than just your heart. It's all your vital organs. It's, it's, it's the whole, you know, you see in the movies all the, all the time, they get hit in the leg, they don't care, they just break the arrow off and they keep on going. But if you get hit in the vitals, it's game over. You're gonna bleed out, your, your oxygen, you know, lungs, I mean, all blood, I mean, it, it, it'll mess you up. So it is a guard to, to protect your most vital, vital parts of your body. Okay, so it talks about the heart. The, the heart is the focal, focal point of everything spiritually. So we got to tie this into naturally. If you, get, if, you're, if you get shot in the heart, it's over, man. Game over. There's, there's, there's nothing that you're going to do apart from a crazy miracle that would, that would cause you to live through that. Your heart stops beating, your blood quits flowing, your whole body shuts down. So that, that breastplate of righteousness, it protects your heart, it protects all your critical organs. Let's look at Psalms 18. And we're going to use this Psalms to kind of give us a little bit of focus on uh, some of these things that God uses these for and some of the tools that he's given us to walk a little bit more effectively. So Psalms 18, 30 through 36. Okay, so verse 30, chapter 18 of Psalms. It says, and as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. So here we, here we start getting into some of this wordage where it's talking about these weapons and these things that he allows us. It says, he is a shield for all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord and who is the rock except our God? Verse 32, and it is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and enables me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend the bow of bronze. He gives me your, he, you give me your shield of victory, okay? And your right hand sustains me. You stoop down to make me great. Verse 36, you broaden the path beneath me so that my ankles do not turn. Ever had anybody twist an ankle? on level ground, right? You know, so, so think about this. He, he, cause, he causes it to widen. He causes it to broaden so that our ankles will not twist, okay? So the next one that we look about is the shoes, the gospel of peace. So this really, really symbolizes the steadiness that comes through the gospel of peace, okay? The stability, the, the not, you know, being swayed back and forth by what we... If we don't know who God is, it's going to be hard for us to boast in who God is, right? You know, because you think, oh, my God is going to be victorious. Well, if you don't know that, man, you're just puffing up and you don't know that that's who God really is. We have to be established. We have to be steady. We have to understand that we are established and in, in, in the gospel that we believe in releases peace, that steadiness. So he broadens your path beneath you so that your angles will not turn, you won't twist your ankle, you won't fall. The steadiness that comes through the gospel of peace. Okay? We have to understand that it's, it's God that gives us the victory. Okay? So when we go on, we talk about the shield of faith. So this is the first weapon that we have that it, it changes because if we think about, you know, uh, the breastplate, the belt, the shoes, and actually, the the hel you know the helmet and the sword. I guess the, I guess they all are kind of defensive weapons. 
The only offensive weapon that there is is the sword of the Spirit. All of those weapons, for the most part, are intended to protect you, but there's only one weapon in which to attack the adversary and to, to, to go forward and to, uh, to penetrate the darkness, okay? So the shield of faith, so this is a defensive weapon. It's used to extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. How many of you guys have felt like sometimes one arrow got missed? You might have had that shield up and you're like, man, it hit me in my shoulder and it got me. Were we really standing firm behind it? Or did we leave that shield sitting to the side and all of a sudden we got hit? Because we can have the breastplate of righteousness in place and it defends all our vital organs, but your limbs, your legs, like all of these th other, other members of your body, it may not necessarily defend against. So you won't die, but it'll hurt like you're going to die. You know, just think about that, okay? We have to get behind that shield. We have to make sure that we're defending ourselves. So it's used to extinguish all of the arrows of the evil one. So when I think about this, man, I wouldn't, that would be something I would not want to leave home without. Even if I forgot to put on my breastplate, as long as I'm hiding behind that shield, I could possibly be okay. Now, a strategic, smart warrior wants to make sure that he's wearing everything that God gives him because it's for his own good, it's for his own protection. I know uh, with our first child, when he first learned to ride a bike, oh, we put everything on him. Elbow pads, wrist protectors, helmet, I mean, almost made him bulletproof to learn to ride that bike. We were overcautious. <laughs> then with the next one, ah, be all right. You know, the older you just get, you get tolerant and you're just like, ah, oh, it's too much work because that's really what it was. It wasn't that I didn't want, to, didn't want to defend them any more than I did the other one, but it's like, man, the helmet and then she can't get the helmet off and we're looking for the knee pads and is this one it? No, that's not it. That's the knee pad and you're, you're just, just the work it requires to put it on. But how often do we do that in our spiritual walk? We're too concerned about the work it's going to take to put it on and then we get hurt and we blame God. Okay, we do that. We say, God, we don't want to go through all the work of getting dressed, of putting all these things on, and then we get hurt, and then we blame you. And he's like, big dummy, I gave you all the knee pads, the helmet, whatever, you know, almost to the point of where you can't really get hurt. You know, it's like walking in a bubble suit. It's almost impossible to get hurt. Now, you can still get little scuffs and things like that, but it's not going to be catastrophic. You're not going to break your wrist. You're not going to skin your knees. These weapons that God has given us, they are, they are ideal for the fight that we're in. None of these tools are insignificant. None of these weapons are insignificant to what God has called us to battle against, okay? There's a reason that he's given us specific ones, okay? So when we talk about the helmet of salvation, it guards your mind. Philippians 4, 7, we talked about this passage last week also when we're talking about peace that's able to guard our heart and mind. It says, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Okay? So we got to understand, you know, that, uh, that our mind is, is really tied to the whole uh, perspective of what we believe to be absolute truth. So we believe in our mind or in our heart, so, so be it, you know, that we want to make sure we protect the mind. Okay, how do we, re you guys know how we renew our mind? By what? Reading the word of God. It says we, we renew our mind by reading the word of God, but then we defend by putting a helmet of salvation on. That we know who we are, we know what we stand for, and when those thoughts or those accusations of who we are begin to be sp spoken over us, you know, because I see it, it's not, as soon as we put that helmet on, we don't have to defend it anymore. It just kind of hits it and it goes, bing, and it bounces off. But when I'm not, when I don't have that helmet of salvation secured, boy, it comes in and it penetrates, and I'm at, then, I gotta, then, the, then the fight starts like, well, maybe I am just a failure. Maybe I should just quit. Am, we really, am I really even doing any good with this? And, you know, you, you get to that. Now, you can still fight and say, oh, wait, man, that's the devil. Hold on. The hell, you know, like get all mad and frustrated and, and curse the devil and, and figure out that that was an accusation and put the devil in his place, but it penetrated the mind. But it, let's say we can completely prevent that 
by putting on the helmet of salvation where it doesn't even enter the mind. It just hits and bounces off. So think about that. If every day, if I could walk a walk without any of the accusations of the enemy penetrating my mind, how much more successful will my walk be on a daily basis? I'll be way more successful. Just that I, that I know who God has called me to be. I know what God is, is doing and I know who he is. That helmet of salvation. I know where I stand with God. I know who I am as a child of the king. And I'm not swayed to the accusations in my mind because that's protected. Okay, so then we talk about the sword of the spirit. I'll tell you what, if you go to war with just a sword and you don't have any of your other gear on, good luck. You won't last long. Okay, but when you have all of these things intact, I have my, the right shoes on. Have you guys ever tried to, there's a reason that certain sports require cleats. When you're stopping, going left, going right, and you're trying to maneuver quickly and efficiently, I've tried to do it with just tennis shoes or different things like that. Man, it really reduces the quality of the agility and you know, there's specific things for specific purposes. So when we wear the right things, we have our shoes, we have our belt holding everything in place, we have that, that the, the, the shield, we have our helmet on, we have everything in place. At that point, we have the ability to move forward. You know, and I kind of I kind of have this visual, I, I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, to where you buy a piece of property and the land needs to be cleared. I've seen in Africa where they, you know, it's, it's, a, it's just grown up and they just kind of go in there with a machete and start tearing it down. They have everything they need, but there's still work to do in order to move forward. But you have the perfect tool to move forward with. Because if all of those things were there and you didn't have the sword of the spirit and you could not attack and you could not offensively approach, all you could do is, what does the scripture say? Is to stand. So if we put on the full armor of God, we have the ability to stand, but if we don't allow the, 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 sword of the, uh, the sword of the spirit to be released in our life, we're just going to stand there, and we're going to take the beating, but we won't be moved, we won't be swayed. But this is an offensive weapon. This is something to, to fight back with the enemy, not just to defend yourself against the enemy. Okay, so when we talk about the, the sword of the spirit, Hebrews 4, 12, it says, for the word of God, so, so when we talk about it, you know, the, the, the sword of the spirit is the word of God. So listen when we talk, use these passages to clarify it. It says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the souls and the spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. If we look at uh, Isaiah 55, 11, you don't have to turn to it, but it says, so is my word, just talking about Jesus' word that goes forward, the, the impact of the word. It says, so is my word that goes forth out of my mouth. It will not return empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Okay, so we have to understand that when we command the word and we send the word forward, it is effective. So it, it says that it is sharper than any double-edged sword. So what is this saying? It's saying, I'm not talking about a natural sword. I'm talking about a sword that is sharper and more impactful and more powerful than any sword you have ever seen. And the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. It can handle anything that we, that we come faced with. I've never, you know, I mean, even from striking down a roaring lion right in front of you with the appearance of it accusing you. Because even at the name of Jesus, right, you know, which is the word of God, you know, it says that the darkness trembles. So the moment I pick that sword up, that roaring lion that's acting like, he's like, I'm just playing. And he moves on. Now, if, 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 you were, uh, if he was attacking you with something where you needed to use that sword, you had the sword available to accomplish whatever you need to accomplish. But it's by the power of God. This isn't just by, you know, he-man, superhero strength that you're wielding this sword. It's by the power of God. But all power is available within that sword of the Spirit. Why? Because it's anointed and it's gifted by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can take care of everything. And that's how God wanted it to be. 
you leave your sword right here, you just put your dukes up, you took it back into your own fight by my own natural means. And you might look at that line and say, hey, now what? He's like, oh, I'll box toe-to-toe now. But the moment you grab the sword of the Spirit, which releases the supernatural into a supernatural situation, the devil flees. And he says, I cannot stand before that because he understands that when we fight by the Spirit, all darkness is removed. All strongholds have to cease. It removes, it removes those things that seem impossible to remove. That last part of that passage, Ephesians 6, 18, it says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. So I know when we get up in the morning and we prepare for our day, we know what to expect, right? If we have work that day, we know what that day is going to look like. If we're off, we may not know what it looks like, but there is a hope of rest and relaxation for everybody, I promise. Welcome to adulthood. And those of you achieving wanting to get to it, it's not always as fun as you think it is, right? Right? But we have an agenda. We know kind of what our day is going to be, right? So we can do the same thing in our journey in the the spiritual, right? We should every single day know that the enemy is looking for an opportunity to destroy you. So every single day we must daily prepare for battle that is ever before us every single moment, every day of our lives. Now pity the fool that says, ah, I don't need any of that today. And that, and that devil shows up, and you didn't have what you needed. You're going to remember that story for the rest of your life. Man, I remember that one time, you know? So we got to prepare. You know, when we talk about the Lord's Prayer, you, all, all, hopefully all of you guys have heard it where it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know, when we talk about that prayer, you know, it says pray on all occasions. The most impactful thing of that prayer is that it covers all of the basises, for our whole day. It says, Father, give us, give us this day our daily bread. So what does that mean? Give me what I need to sustain myself spiritually, physically, and emotionally. Right? Give me this day my, my daily bread. Forgive me of all my trespasses. Forgive me for whatever I've done. And then God also help me to forgive those who I need to forgive. Lord, today, lead me not into temptation because, hey, we know we're susceptible to temptation, right? But what did we read in his word? It says, there's nothing that you don't put before me as far as being tempted by that you don't provide a way out. So, Father, don't, you know, help me not to be led into temptation to where I'm noosed by it, is what it's saying. Temptation is going to come. Temptation is going to go. But it says, help me not, help it not to get me. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. So even if, I, if I'm walking down the road and I come encountered with a lion, roaring like a lion, that I just command him to go. And then it puts God in his place. He says, but unto you give you all the power, glory, and honor forever and ever. So pray on all occasions. You know, so the Lord's Prayer will really, really help you. If you don't know how to pray, start every morning by praying it. And then ask God to give you guidance and show you what it really means in depth, okay? So if the devil's leaving you alone... You may need to really, really consider, are you seriously pursuing God on a daily basis? Because if the devil's not picking on you, he might not need to entice you because you're already doing what he wants. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that to scare anybody, but if you're like, man, I don't ever see any attacks like this, or man, it's just honky-dory, and, and you really evaluate your life, and there's already a lot of ugly, and you're already creating your own destruction, well, the, the, the devourer that the, to kill still, he doesn't need to do anything. You're doing it yourself. So we need to evaluate. If I'm not on a regular basis, because, you know, Becky and I, you know, and, you know, uh, we have felt a difference of where I'm like, man, the devil is, just, I mean, maybe I have, I better not speak for her. She might be like, I got all the armor on, no issues. But I feel like that there's, there's times where it's like, man, you know, I got this armor on, but I'm taking blows left and right. And I'm just like, man, take a day off. But for those who are really pursuing God, every day is a battle. But it, we don't, fight, we don't fly, fight as the world fights. It's not against flesh and blood. It's the, it's the God that secures us and protects us. Okay? You know, I know that my life's been filled with attacks from the enemy. I felt it. Okay? So we have, and he's striving to destroy us. So sometimes, you know, uh, and sometimes it's our own ignorance that gets us there, Right? It's not always just like, oh, man, I was following God, and 
man, Lord, what's going on? No, sometimes it's our own stupid decisions of taking roads or paths that God never intended us to take. But we have to understand that if the devil is not directly trying to distract us and destroy us, where it's very evident, let's evaluate, are we really sold out to pursuing a life that chased after Christ? Because I really feel that he, he really wants to destroy people who are sold out for chasing after God. And I'm hoping that's the majority of us here, that we are so hungry and we're so desired to pursuit of God that the enemy is going to tear us up. So therefore, we want to make sure you have the tools to be able to overcome. So sometimes it's our own ugliness that tempts us or distracts us or gets us off course. We have to know that God is never tempted. So therefore, God never tempts us. It's, it's not something that God, it's not a test from God. Okay, know that when he's like, hey, sin or don't sin, you know, that's the devil. <laughs> take the fruit, don't take the fruit. God, there was, God was nowhere in that perspective. It was the devil that was trying to entice and distract and to destroy. So we have to understand there's a whole another passage. If you want to write it down, James 1. 13 through 16 talks about that God can't be tempted, therefore he doesn't tempt anybody, but he talks about how our own evil desires within us lead us to that place of temptation. And when temptation gives to a choice, then a choice leads to sin, and then sin, when it's full grown, can ultimately lead to death. So it's the stuff inside of us that we got to allow God to remove. So God has given us all the armor we need to be victorious in battle. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5 It says, for though we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. That means utterly destroy to to, to completely remove. Verse 5, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, it says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive and make it into the obedience of Christ. When we know the truth of God's word, we will see the accuser five miles away. But if we don't know the truth, we can take the bait because he'll, he'll, he'll kind of wrap it in a way with partial truth. Because we think about the fruit. What did the fruit actually do? It did let them know the knowledge of good and evil. But that was never God's plan. Is it like, perhaps, man, maybe we will. You know, so there was always partial truth, but it was still in disobedience to what God had commanded So we have to understand what God's word states and what it commands us to do. Therefore, whenever the accuser asks us to do something or tempts us to do something that is contrary to God's word, we immediately say, oh, no, I know that's a lie from the pit of hell. I'm not going to take the bait on that. Okay. So the only way that we can apply all all of these, all of these tools, all of these weapons, all of these uh, The full armor of God is by allowing the Holy Spirit to show us how to put them on and how to keep them on. And the only way that we can really release on a daily basis those gifts and those those things available is really praying in the Holy Spirit. Jude, verse 20, it says, build yourself up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about in this church about receiving a prayer language, praying in the Holy Spirit, this is how we battle in the spirit. This is how we we edify our spirit, man, and we diminish the flesh. Because sometimes when we pray in the natural, we pray selfish prayers. Lord, help everything to work out for my good. Lord, help me to get this great job. Help me to be able to become a millionaire. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Pretty selfish. (laughs) Well, that's what I want. Yeah, because that's how ugly your heart is. So when we pray in the spirit, we pray the perfect will of God, which is not always the bells and whistles and 100 pursuit of the American dream. We might be praying in the spirit and it says, God, even unto death, I'll follow you. God, whatever you ask of me, I'll do it. Even if it cost me so much in this lifetime that I borderline forsake you, I'll still do it. Man, he's like, man, that got serious. Yeah. That's why God wants us to pray in the spirit because it removes us from that equation and allows the spirit of God to speak what needs to be spoken. And it allows us to girt ourselves up in the, in the armor of God every single day. 
So Noe, how often should you pray in the Spirit? Every day if you can. How often? On every occasion. With what kind of request? With all kinds of request. And then if you run out of praying for yourself, what does it say? Hey, pray for the saints also. What does that mean? That means pray for me, pray for you. If you got it all together and you've prayed enough that your life's good to go, hey, throw some love my way. Pray on all occasions. Don't just pray when you're in the, in the, in the, in the grasp of the enemy's hand. But pray before you get there so that you would never get to that place, okay? So prayer is the key to releasing all of the supernatural. So we must ask for and put on the armor of God by the Spirit. So like I said, you don't see me with a helmet on. You don't see me with a breastplate of righteousness. You don't see me with a belt of truth. You just see my Sunday shoes. You don't see, you don't see that. But it's something that we supernaturally put on. How do we know if it's there? Sometimes you got to look at it, right? What do you do before you leave the house to make sure your face is all together? Yeah. It's good. Or like, oh, hold on. Five more minutes, honey. I got to do something. Like, it's like, okay, you're not ready, you know, to evaluate. So what does that mean? Before you hit that threshold of leaving your home, because I think your homes can be set apart to where the battle, you know, just a, just a... A place that we set apart as our safe place, a place where the Holy Spirit is made welcome and where, where that battle, we, we give God authority over our homes. Hopefully you're not fighting against the devil within your own home. If some of you are, you got to understand the authority that you have in Christ that you can set that apart and you can say, devil, not in this home. You've heard of some people anointing their homes, praying over their homes, different things like that. That's what it's for. The battle starts when I leave my home and I, and I leave that threshold and I step into all of these other areas that, that maybe people have given other authority to. But what does the word of God say? Everywhere my foot treads, I can proclaim the authority of Christ to rule and reign and be victorious. But before my foot hits that threshold and I leave that home, make sure I got everything in place. Make sure I'm made up and I'm ready and I'm wearing the full armor of God. Amen. You guys stand up with me. We'll get out of here. This morning, if we have a prayer team available, please come up. So if, if there's something specific that we can pray for you with this morning, uh, man, we want to make ourselves available to you. I know sometimes that there's personal requests, and it maybe may, may not meet the exact, it's like, well, Noe, what I'm dealing with, man, it really doesn't have to do specifically with the armor of God. But man, I'm just having an issue with this. We want to be a church that we can pray for whatever you need. So we want to make ourselves available to you this morning. Secondly, if you've never understood these principles of the armor of God, read Ephesians 6 this week. Man, just, just read it. And if you read it once, you're like, man, it's kind of cool, but I don't really understand. Read it again. And then if you're still kind of at a loss for words, say, Holy Spirit, show me what this means. Where do I need to apply this? What, what piece of these armors, God, do I, am I not wearing? And then allow him to, to give you those, those, those parts of the armor and to wear them and to equip yourself with them. Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family, please write us at 42 FM 2540 South, Bay City, Texas 77414. Or check us out on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.